This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to Bear Archery's Hunting 101 podcast, where hunters new and old come to learn and find inspiration from stories of hunts gone by. Everyone is welcome to enjoy the outdoor way of life, and there is no better time to start than right now. So let's head into the great outdoors with your host, Dylan Ray. All right, guys, welcome to Bear Archery's Hunting 101 podcast. As always, presented by our good friends over at Scentlock and our friends at Blocker Outdoors. Um, and I'm excited about my two guests. We have a very special episode today. Um, it is our 100th episode uh, of the podcast. And so I got with the guys at Bear and I said, who do we want to have on for the 100th episode? And they threw out two names and that's who we have. So we have Miss Michelle Eichler and Miss Christy Titus. Ladies, how are you? Doing great. Glad to be here. Yeah, fantastic. I'm a little, I'm a little nervous because I've had one lady on before at a time, but I've never had two ladies on before at a time. So I don't know how it's going to go. <laughs> it should be fine. You'll be fine. Just relax. <laughs> <laughs> before we jump in, not that either of you need much of an introduction. I know Christy's been on the show, and of course we've had Fred on the show, uh, Michelle's husband. But before we jump in, give us a quick introduction to yourselves and what you guys do. Okay, well, um, I'm Michelle Eichler, uh, Fred Eichler's wife and uh, uh, mother to three boys. We have Jeb, Seth, and Trent, um, and we all hunt. We're a hunting family. We're an outdoor family. Uh, we live a field-to-table lifestyle. Uh, years ago, my father invented the Muzzy Broadhead, and uh, I ran that company until 2012, and um, so I have a long history in the industry. And uh, love the outdoors, love hunting, and uh, just love the outdoor lifestyle. Miss Titus? <laughs> that was a great intro. It's hard to follow up with uh, the Eichler family. So, um, yeah, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tough act to follow. Um, so I grew up in Oregon and, um, you know, kind of had mules and packing in the backcountry, experiencing the thrill of like Western big game hunting with my dad. My husband and I just moved to Wyoming uh, to be able to have more opportunities doing those things as a married couple. So we're excited about that. I host uh, Pursue the Wild, which is an outdoor hunting and shooting sports show. And then I also have the Wild and Uncut podcast. Um, basically, you know, we just live the life. We love hunting and we love shooting, you know, everything from 
uh, you know, precision rifle to archery. Um, 24 seven, we eat, sleep, live to be outdoors. And um, we just love being part of such an incredible community that is you know, doing so much for conservation. Now powerful. that that's what interests me about both of you ladies and we'll jump in. Uh, but before we do, I do have to just say thank you to everyone. Um, like I said, this is the hundredth episode and the fact that we're a hundred episodes in and you guys still choose to listen to me ramble. That's amazing. So thank you so much for listening. Um, I'm excited about these two ladies because a lot of women are onset hunters at marriage. They, they either marry somebody or they want to marry somebody who's a hunter and they begin hunting. Uh, but both of these women were bad to the bone huntresses long before their spouses, uh, which is exciting. Um, and I would argue, well, Michelle, who's a better shot? You or Fred? Well, I would definitely say Fred is, um, you know, he, with a recurve, he's unreal. Um, and with a compound, I'm a, I'm a good shot. I'm not a, a tournament shooter. I don't shoot dots, um, but I can harvest animals. Um, that's always been that's all that matters when it's crunch time and you need to make the shot on an animal. You know, a lot of times people will um, not know when to draw. And, uh, you know, so I would like to say I'm a hunter um, uh, and we all shoot firearms you know we shoot pistols we shoot rifles uh long range uh close range um so we just enjoy all of it but um there's a lot of competition in our family so you know who's the better shot but you know when it comes to hunting i got to give my tip of the hat to my husband i think most people have to give the tip of the hat to your husband (laughs) (laughs) i don't think there's much argument for anybody but uh no the reason i ask um well and, and you brought up an interesting point I've met some people who are phenomenal shots and then you get them in front of an animal and they freak out and then vice versa. I've seen somebody shoot in the backyard and I'm like, how do you kill stuff? Like, how do you even get close to this? And then you go out hunting with them and they just, when it's time to kill something, they kill something. And uh, I'm not going to name any names, but uh, (laughs) no, I, and, and what's funny is I don't know if you're familiar with, with Dennis Dunn at all. Um, but he, he told, he was sitting around a table one time and he said, well, listen, he said, I'm a piss poor shot. So I've got to be a good hunter. And and I'm like, well, Hey, that's, that's a good thing to admit and good to recognize. But, uh, the reason I ask is, you know, when I got my wife into hunting, uh, when I got her into the archery shop for the first time, she was shooting lights out. And I was like, I kind of looked over at the worker. I'm like, what's happening right now? Like, what's going on? And he was like, dude, women are always better. He's like, just a hundred percent. They're always a better shot. He's like, they control their breathing better. They control their, you know, men get up there and it's all about pride and ego. And I got to make this shot and, and I'm about to make this weapon go off and women just control themselves and they're better at it. And so I was, I was really curious to know because, uh, I've done a little bit of looking into that and it does seem that women just tend to control themselves under a shot process better. Christy. I don't know. Um, so I, I've not shot around a lot of women. I'm pretty um, reclusive in my life. So I'm not really sure if that's true or false. Uh, I did introduce my dad and my husband to archery. My husband's European. And so he had, um, it's not really legal to actually to hunt in most many European countries. So I introduced both of them to archery and um my husband is obsessed. Like he shoots literally every day. And, um, 
you know, who's a better shot? I don't know. I mean, I can't really say I compete with my husband because he's just learning fundamentals. Like he's not even gotten to that point where target panic's like a thing. <laughs> so I'm like, okay. Uh, he's like, why do you do that sometimes? And I'm like, wait a second, I got to back up. <laughs> Remember my back tension? Like, okay. Follow through on my release and like really, you know, cause I tend to want to like really hyper punch my trigger, but you know, that's come from 20 years of shooting. And I think a lot of bad habits are learned and they're not just there right away. Um, and so I, he's, he's still in that inception, like period of becoming an archer and hasn't quite figured out like all of his bad habits, what they're going to be or where he's going in that. But I feel like, um, those skills of bad habits are learned with time. Um, but, uh, yeah, we both shoot a lot and, um, you know, I have a, a mule that's always starving to death. He's super old. And so we go out now and we wait for him to eat, which takes over an hour and we just sit and shoot. And, um, it's something that we do every day together. And, um, it really is a lot of fun for both of us. The reason I brought up both of you guys being hunters, um, your whole life, pretty much. Um, I've got two wonderful daughters and it's my, my goal to get them involved in hunting. Um, I've taken them both out on little turkey hunts or, or the 10 year olds now going on some whitetail hunts. Uh, I'm curious to know, how did your fathers successfully get girls to buy into the hunting lifestyle? And what did they, I mean, you can tell Tell me what they did wrong. I mean, uh, for, for the dads out there who have daughters and they really want to see their daughters in the woods and buy into the hunting lifestyle, what should they do and what should they not do? Well, I, I can say in my case, I'm probably not a good example because um, I grew up in a hunting family and I didn't know that that was not an option. Um, right. you know, we, uh, we were always outdoors. Um, my dad, I remember when I was, when I was little, my mom would pack us all up on the weekend and we'd head up to upstate New York and my dad would go hunting and my brother and I would be shooting our little plastic bows in the backyard. And when he would build stands, because back then you actually built stands out of two by fours and plywood. Um, they didn't have the, the, the wonderful technology that we have today. Um, we would sit and help him. We'd hand him stuff. And then when he would go hunting, um, sometimes he would put us at the base of the tree and he'd be sitting up on the platform and he would put a string to my wrist. So if a deer was coming, he would tug on it. So we knew to be quiet and, uh, and to look out for it. So as far as I'm concerned, um, in our household, it wasn't like, um, my dad came and said, okay, I want you to start hunting. It just was a progression. I mean, there was right. not, there was not like this moment where, you know, the light bulb went on and I said, I think I want to go hunting. It was just part of our lifestyle. So I may not be a good example for how to get somebody into hunting on that, on that realm. Well, and I think that is a good answer. The good answer is build a culture that they don't know any different. Uh, and not that I not listen, I know that I'll get emails saying you've got to let your kids decide what they want to be and how they want to do it. And that's not what I'm saying. I'm not going to force hunting upon them, but create that culture where it's just normal. You know, not hunting is where it's like, wait, what? You don't hunt? Um, and that's kind of how it was for me growing up of, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't meeting a hunter and being like, what, what do you mean you hunt? You kill animals. It was the opposite. It was, 
you don't hunt? Where do you where do you get your food from? You know, how do you how do you eat? And uh, and so no, I think that is a great answer of of just building that culture. And I think the same will be true for how you raise your boys uh, when we get to those. Uh, you know, talking about how you raise your boys of just being in that culture. But um, Christy, what would you say? Uh, your 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 dad did right or wrong in getting you involved in hunting? Well, I was obsessed with riding the mules and I wanted to do anything to be with them. I just loved them. And it was just always a part of me. I always wanted to be in the outdoors. Like my sister would go with my grandparents and I wanted to pack in with my parents in the mules. And, and I really like, like, like Michelle saying, I, I don't know any different. I'm really lucky that when I was this a super hardcore tomboy. My parents didn't give me a bunch of hormones and change my identity. Um, thank you parents. Um, because I seriously did. I mean, my best friends were boys. I grew up basically a boy and my, you know, like total tomboy. And I was very fortunate that my parents were so supportive and let me run wild. And I was like a little wild animal, you know? Um, and I'm very thankful for that. And I, and I think it's not in everyone. And there are, you know, people that are like my sister that really weren't that interested in hunting or shooting. Um, but I think the best thing parents can do is make it fun, uh, make it rewarding, find adventures for kids that they can have success. So, um, I was mentoring some girls this last year and they talked about the one girl's dad would take them shed horn hunting. And, you know, he was such a great dad. He would, you know, GPS and drop sheds for his kids and then take them out and, you know, take Tommy or Sally by where the sheds he knew were and let them find them and let them have that success. And, you know, taking kids on hunts where they're not necessarily like hardcore grinding, but that they can have some success and enjoy the process and learn. Um, there's so many skills that are learned. And I, what, one of my biggest pet peeves is when a parent takes their kid out and lets them shoot a trophy animal for their first animal. Um, you know, especially if they haven't done the scouting or, you know, put any work into that opportunity. I really feel like it it ruins the yeah. their appreciation of the harvest. Um, so I really encourage parents, you know, have your kids be a part of it, set cameras, go out, scout together, talk about the process that goes into being a hunter and ethically harvesting a sustainable food source. And they really understand and appreciate that part before they get to experience the trophy part. Yeah, absolutely. Now, <laughs> dad, if you're listening, You've, you've ruined my son uh, because my dad did that. He went out and hid some sheds and uh, they were, my folks live in Arkansas and they were staying with my folks for the week. And so my dad was like, dude, the girls are going shopping. Let's go shed hunting. My boy's only three. So he's like, yeah, anything hunting, let's do it. And my dad's like, he had to carry his BB gun. I'm like that. Yeah, that's, that's him. He wants to have it everywhere. But, and my dad was like, and, and I, he was telling me this beforehand. He's like, and, and we were at this, I don't know where he got them, but he had some dinosaur bones and he's like, so I'm going to hide those out there too. And it'll be, you know, it'd be cool. Like, dude, I, what did we find here? Dinosaur bone. And, uh, I didn't think anything of it, but now anytime we're out, we went turkey hunting not too long ago. And my son's like looking at rocks and he's like, every rock he sees is a dinosaur bone. And it's all about dinosaur bones. And we go shed hunting and I'm trying to find sheds and he's just looking for dinosaur bones. And I'm like, well, my dad has successfully ruined my kid because now all he wants to do is find dinosaur bones. So don't do that. I can tell you that. That's a I bad did that mistake. too. I found a um, Indian arrowhead playing in my parents' backyard, 
And I was obsessed with archaeology and studying societies like ancient societies and cultures. And I think it's a good place to build upon. If your kid has that interest in dinosaurs, you know, take that momentum and run with it and build upon something really positive with it and make it fun. And his, yeah. his interest in dinosaurs will wane. He's also very little and then just kind of shift him right into a different dynamic. Yeah. At least it's getting the interest in the outdoors. Um, which I've got a lot to talk about, uh, in that, that aspect, but before we move on, I do got to give a quick thank you to our friends over at my season report. Uh, my season report is an online hunting almanac, uh, if you will, um, where it tells you, you can, you can save the counties in which you hunt and it'll give you all the season dates and bag limits based off of that County, all the rules, laws, and regulations. Uh, so you can see everything about hunting in that County, um, in one easy to use platform. You don't have to go through a bunch of different clunky state agency websites, but also they've added in some incredible gardening features about when to plant, how to plant, how to grow, how to, how to raise these crops. Um, I don't know if you use the word crops, but, uh, how do you raise these things? And then how do you incorporate those things with the wild game you've harvested? So it's a very cool platform. Go check out my season report and the entire platform is just 10 bucks a year. Use code hunting one Oh one in all caps, and it'll make it just $10 for the entire platform all year long. I would highly recommend you to check it out. At least try it for free. Um, you get a, a, a free, free trial of it. So I'd at least go check it out because it is incredible. Speaking of food, Miss Eichler, I hear you're a phenomenal cook. <laughs> oh, I've been told that. Yeah. But you know, um, everybody, they talk about the wild game that I cook and everything. And I always say it's, it's easy. It's not rocket science. Um, you know, wild game has no fat in it. So one of the biggest mistakes people make is they overcook it. Um, and the biggest part of wild game is how you handle it prior to cooking it, you know, how you process it. Um, so taking care of that animal from the time you harvest it to the time you process it, that's very important. You know, I, probably a lot of people, when they think of uh, wild game, if they say, oh, I don't like it, it's usually because it has a gamey flavor to them. Um, and I can honestly tell you, the animals that we harvest here, there's no gamey flavor. Um, I've had people tell me there's no way that this is deer. Or there's no way this is, you know, whatever. Um, bear meat. I make uh, the bear here in Southern Colorado. The meat is phenomenal. It, it, you will think it's the best beef. If you make pot roast out of it, it's amazing. So, you know, that whole thing in our family, that's always been the trophy. You know, I love what Christy said about um, not having kids think that trophy hunting is what hunting is all about. Um, she is spot on on that. You know, in our family, the trophy is always the food on the table. It's always the meal that's been provided. And a, a quick story. Um, one time we were all going out to dinner and our middle son, Seth, who now is taking over the outfitting business, um, he still had a cow elk tag. And it was the last day of the season. And we gave him the option. Do you want to, you know, go out hunting or do you want to um, come out to dinner with us? And he says, no, I think I'm going to try to go out hunting. So he went back here on the back of the ranch. And when we came home, it was a rifle tag. When we came home um, and asked him how he did, he said, just look in the sink, you know, and it's like, oh, look in the sink. So we go in there and there's a elk heart with a bullet hole through the middle of it. And it was he said, I shot the smallest one I could find because I knew it would be the best meat. And in our family, that was the trophy. The fact that yeah. he was so proud of the shot he had made, he had made a super clean harvest 
and he had provided some of the best meat that we could ever have on the table in the Eichler house. Um, that was the trophy. And, you know, we don't, we don't trophy hunt, um, unless we're someplace where they tell you, you have to shoot something that's certain size. Um, if it's, if I'm moose hunting, um, I'm moose hunting, you know, if it's a male, if, you know, if it's gotta be a bull moose, then I'll shoot a bull moose, but I'm not looking for anything, um, size wise. So I, Christy was spot on. You want to get kids involved, make it fun. Don't make it a competition and, you know, don't make them feel like if they don't shoot a trophy, um, that they've somehow failed, um, you know, whenever you take an animal's life, it's a serious thing and you need to respect that and, um, and come away with that, with that thought, not, it's not trophy hunting. I have absolutely always admired your husband for that. Um, you'll see him get as fired up about a doe as, as a 200 inch buck. It doesn't matter. Um, he loses his marbles over anything. And I love that. <laughs> yes. I love yep. that about him. Uh, I remember like we were, I was on a hunt and uh, I was actually with Alec. And this was before the Eichlers officially came on board, but I was with Alec and we were in South Texas and he was sending me, I don't, I don't remember the exact details, but it was like one of the first episodes where they were going to be using bears. And, and so it was like, they did the whole Fred bear tribute at the beginning or whatever. And Fred shoots a, a doe in the field of Alaska and, I, and he like freaks out. And I'm like, this, see, this is why he's one of my favorites uh, because he pushes that. Like it, it's not a, it's not a, a face. It's not a, he's not pretending like he's legitimately excited about that doe. And that's what I love. Uh, I, I absolutely love that. Um, I got a question for you. This is offhand. Do you have a good squirrel recipe? Oh, me? Um, yes. Honestly, no, I don't. Um, I didn't grow up down in the South. Um, I have some great waterfowl recipes. I have some, you know, lots of other great recipes, but I, I'm sorry. That's one thing I'm not, I've n actually never cooked squirrel. My husband has, my husband has cooked fried squirrel and it was very good. Um, well, the reason I ask, I've become like a squirrel addict. Like I just absolutely love shooting squirrels. I don't know why. <laughs> well, I do know why. Uh, somebody, I actually think it was, <laughs> I, it might've been your husband. Um, when I switched to shooting a recurve, he said, if you want to get good with a recurve hunt, small game with it. And so I started hunting squirrels with my recurve and I was just like, this is a blast. Like, this is so much fun. And so I've killed so many squirrels and I just can't get it right. Uh, now my grandmother, see, I did grow up in, down South in Arkansas and my grandmother made phenomenal squirrels, but I don't, I can't get it right. So I was just curious. Miss Christie, what's been, uh, on the same topic of food, uh, has your, has your husband had any kind of like barriers of getting over that wild game threshold? Or was he just like all in, it's meat, I want to eat it? No, my husband is an avid hunter. Um, he he hunts internationally all around the world. So he eats literally everything. Actually, his family, um, I went roe deer hunting with them in Sweden uh, a year and a two years ago now uh, when we got engaged. And we took our harvest home to his family and his mom prepared um, the kidneys, the liver and the heart in three different ways. Um, really? I had never had kidneys before. And actually the kidneys turns out that it's one of my favorites. Now I'm not a liver fan. Okay. I'm going to be really honest. I won't eat it. Um, not my deal, 
but kidneys are amazing. They have a great texture, great flavor. Heart has a weird texture, but good flavor, but the kidneys are fantastic. So now I've actually become a kidney harvester <laughs> thanks to my husband. So going back to what Michelle said about preparing your wild game, this goes out to all the stupid rednecks out there. When do you ever go and buy beef at Walmart or wherever your local grocery store and you throw it on the back of your truck and drive around for two days showing everybody saying, look at this beef I just bought and then expect it to taste good. You go home and you put it in the fridge and you keep it fresh. The same is true with whitetail. If you tell me you don't like whitetail or bear, elk, you name it, I don't care. If you say you don't like it, but yet you drove around for eight hours showing it to people and hanging out of your car window. I mean, took it to the gas station, took it to Walmart, all of these things. And, and then you wonder why it's not good meat. Get it off the bone as quick as you can get it off the, get all the, all the, uh, all the junk out as quick as you can fill dress it as quick as you can get it on ice as quick as you can. Well, actually let me go back. Uh, Miss Eichler, are you a, uh, are you a, do you age your meat at all? Or do you just start processing immediately? Um, it depends. I mean, sometimes we do um, hang an, an animal in the cooler uh, and let it age a little bit. But in general, you know, especially uh, the early season stuff like antelope and right. stuff like that. No, we get, you know, the thing is get the skin off right away. Um, yes. Get that meat cooled down and uh, we'll, we'll process it right away. But there are times when, you know, late cow elk season, we'll hang one for a little bit and uh, um, it's all good. So, yeah. Yeah. Now, and, and Christy, you said you don't like, um, liver. Let me just say this to everybody listening. It's okay to not like something like my wife doesn't like deer, which that sucks because that's what I kill 90% of the most. But, um, like at first I thought it was a wild game issue. Like when we first got married, I thought she was just a yuppie. Um, and, and she didn't like wild game. But then I realized it's actually just the, the deer she doesn't like. Like she doesn't like the flavor of deer. And that's okay. Um, it, it's all right to say, you know what? I just don't simply don't like this. Um, and, and that's all right. Um, don't think that you have to like force feed yourself um, because I've made deer a thousand different ways. And, and you know, I've made for anywhere from steaks to putting it in chili to tacos to necros and all these different things thinking like i'll find a way she likes it and she just doesn't like deer like there's just no way around it it's just the, the flavor of the meat just like there's people who don't like chicken just like there's people who don't like turkey and that's okay um I, I just wanted to give that you know sometimes i think that hunters put off that mentality of like you have to like everything it's meat you kill it you have to enjoy it you have to like it it's okay like there's going to be meats you don't like and that's all right what is your favorite kind of wild game meat? Either one of you. I'm a big whitetail eater. I love whitetail, but I did go to Hawaii this year. and I Oh, don't tell me axis. you killed an axis. Oh, oh, Lord have mercy. Yeah, that stuff will make you be an axis hunter for life. It is amazing meat. But, um, you know, if I have to choose every year... Um, Elk is up there really high. Whitetail deer, axis deer. I am not a huge mule deer fan. The the sagey kind of 
gamey flavor that a lot of mule deer has. I, I don't always love. So I tend to, I'm such a horrible person. Lord, I apologize. Uh, I will donate <laughs> my mule deer a lot of times and then keep my elk and my whitetail. Um, so I mean, it's still going to all good places, but um, personally, I just prefer my, my husband, he'll eat anything. He, you know, I, I harvested a beautiful mule deer last year and my husband's eating that and he loves it. And, you know, we eat a lot of ground meat patties. And so I'll take out the axis deer and then he'll eat the mule deer and he's, he's fine with that. So we just, we just kind of sometimes we'll prepare different animals side by side in the same pan. It's kind of funny, actually. I, I can't tell you that if you try Axis, it'll be your new favorite. But what I can tell you is that if you try Axis, there's no way you won't like it. Um, like it is some of the finest. Now I did, uh, last week I had an Axis hunt planned, uh, with our, with my friends from Texas hunting resources in Texas for Axis. Um, and it just so happened my wife had to have surgery. I had to reschedule it. She felt horrible and cried. I'm like, it's whatever. Um, but I will, I will make that hunt, um, happen, but, you've got to try access, like find somebody who's killed one, find, Oh my Lord, it's good. Um, what is your favorite miss Michelle? So, um, there's several obvious, um, honestly, because we do shoot all different kinds of game. Um, one that I was very surprised about and I was told was really good is Neil guy, um, out of Texas. And, um, I I've shot heard that as well a few years ago and that was some of the finest meat ever. And then come to find out that they were actually brought over here um, as a substitute for beef um, because they can basically live off of scrub and everything, but they don't do well in cold weather and they have had a very hard time keeping them in fences and stuff. So, um, but Neil guy is wonderful. Um, I'll tell you an interesting thing is our youngest son, Trent, his favorite meat is mountain lion. And, uh, we normally, somebody in the family normally harvests at least one mountain lion every year. And, um, people ask, well, what is that like? And I, I liken it to pork without the fat. Um, it's kind yeah. of a white meat. So, um, but of course elk, um, is always way up there. Moose is way up there. Um, some of the best meat I've ever eaten was sheep. When, uh, my husband, Fred shot sheep, sheep meat is amazing. So, um, I, you know, if, if you, if, if you just, Try a little bit of everything. I, I don't think I have a favorite. I just, you know, kind of like it all. I, uh, one, one, I saw a post and somebody had killed a mountain lion. And this anti-hunter comments and they're like, uh, well, now we just know that you're a trophy hunter because there's no way you're going to eat that. And like all the comments replying to that was like, you're an idiot. Like that's some of the best meat you could ever have. Mm -hmm. And I had a buddy who, um, <laughs> his, one of his kids is yuppie super yuppie and like doesn't eat wild game and so he killed this mountain lion last year and he prepared it and like fed the whole family and somebody he didn't tell him what it was and and his kid was like that was the best pork chop i ever had and he said oh sweetheart <laughs> see now now i know you like wild game and you're just being because that was mountain lion and then they freak out and you know, like act like they're gonna die or whatever but no i've heard mountain lions phenomenal i've actually never had it though yeah, it's excellent, actually. Very good. That's a really fun party trick is the surprise meat. Yeah. <laughs> Bring the surprise meat and don't tell people what they're eating and then make them guess. And um, that's actually a really fun way to entertain your friends as well. I did I, make I, a... I do that a lot here at the, uh, when the, we have the um, outfitting business, of course. So we'll have clients in and, you know, I'll prepare, say, bear pot roast or something. And 
you know, put it on the table and it's, they'll say, Oh, well, what is this? You know, cause they know I'm a wild game cook and, and I'll be, well, I want you to tell me what it is. And they go, well, I think maybe this is beef tonight. And I'm like, no, it's bear, you know? So we, we actually, Christy do that quite a bit here at full draw. The fact that you can trick people that know you're a wild game chef, that says all I need to know. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, have you seen a big difference? I've heard, I've heard some people say absolutely, and I've heard some people say no way, you're crazy. Have you seen a big difference in spring bear versus fall bear and how they eat? Well, um, I am not a good person to ask that question because here in Colorado there is no spring bear season. So um, the last time I shot a spring bear was in Canada years ago, and they donated the meat. So I have honestly never prepared spring bear. Um, and the fall bear here is just phenomenal. So I maybe pass that on to Christy because I, I don't know the difference. You know, I think it always goes back to, again, how you take care of an animal. Um, so I bow hunt a lot. And um, like, for example, last year I harvested a bear and I, I, I shot it, you know, right before dark, let it sit overnight. And then the next morning went and pulled the hide off of it and it, it ate perfectly fine. But I think if you let it sit too long, you know, or, you know, depending on the situation, I, I think preparation of how that animal is treated is everything. Um, the bear I shot the year before was with a rifle and that was some of the best meat that I've had. Um, the smell, the texture, the appearance, um, it's really beautiful meat. Um, so I think it just goes back to, you know, bears have a lot of hide. And if you don't take care of them properly, you can toughen the meat, have bad. some of that meat get a little spoiled uh, more quickly, I think, even than, than uh, ungulates. Yeah. Now, I, uh, I think it all comes down. And this is the best way I've ever answered it is I think where that people get the misconception of they're better in the fall is because of where you're hunting them in the fall. Um, because like if you go to Maine and you hunt in the fall, they're eating nothing but blueberries and, and, and they're sweet and they're delicious and they're fat. But, but if you go somewhere else in the fall, they might only be eating acorns. Um, and so I think the big difference is where they're at, not necessarily fall versus spring. Now, of course, in the fall, they're going to be a lot fatter, um, which always, comes out better meat uh but um in my opinion but i think what it comes down to is is where they're hunted at fall versus spring that could very that could very well be because a lot of times it is um what they're eating you know i can liken that to antelope um i sh um, ate antelope from montana and they were eating a lot of sagebrush and the meat was very sagey and um i was not a big fan to be honest with you but like the antelope here in Southern Colorado, they're out on the same pastures as our cattle. And the meat is one of our favorites for sure. It has no sagey flavor at all. A lot of times I, I'll try to cook whatever the hunters are hunting. Like we have antelope hunters in, um, especially ones that maybe have never shot an antelope before. And they've heard antelope can be sagey or whatever. Um, I try to cook a meal with that type of meat just so they understand, wow, this is something I definitely want to take home and I'm going to enjoy. Now I um throw chimchurri sauce on that antelope and it disguises everything. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine, it's good. <laughs> I uh I really didn't expect this much food talk. Um, but I I'm always down to talk about food. Um 
before we move on, quick thank you to our friends over at Boning. Um, they have some phenomenal Fred Bear branded products. Um, with my favorite product being the Fred Bear uh, camo wraps uh, to match the bows that you're shooting. Uh, if you're shooting a refined uh, Whitetail Legend Pro, maybe a, 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 a mag riser, whatever it might be, that wrap looks phenomenal and matches your equipment. Uh, but they have all of the tools that you need to build your own arrows, all of the components from wrap, veins, um, knocks, everything, and hundreds of different kinds of jigs. I get asked all the time, what's my favorite uh, vein configuration? And it changes all of the time. Right now, it is a four-fletch uh, with a heat vein. Um, so if you're wanting to try out a four-fletch, I would try the heat vein from Boning. Um, I want to start this question with with Christy. What do you feel like the biggest barriers of entry are for women to get into hunting? Um, I don't know. You know, I, I don't. I don't. Uh, I don't think that that's just a gender specific question. I think that goes to you know men and women. Um, just where to start. <clears throat> so we did a round table the other night with Onyx and there was a lot of people that were coming in that, you know, male and female, where do I start? I want to learn. And they just don't know, you know, they want to do more in the outdoors or they want to try harvesting. You know, there's this huge, um, you know, local vor kind of field to fork movement that people are wanting to be part of and they don't know where to start. And I think the barrier of entry is, is how to start, where to start. And you know, for me, the biggest thing is, is for, I always recommend everybody to join a club or an organization. So if you want to shoot archery, go down to your local pro shop and join, you know, a 3d club that, you know, practices or, or does tournaments on the weekends or whatever. Um, if, if you want a big game hunt and you want to shoot a rifle, go to your rifle club, learn how to shoot a rifle. Um, and obviously if you want to hunt, uh, joining a nonprofit group, um, like Safari Club or RMEF, something like that, um, because a lot of those people that are in those organizations really are, you know, a lot of them are retired um, and they have more time to mentor and help. And then they're always encouraging and kind of spearheading new educational and outreach programs. So I, I think the biggest barrier is, is that where to start and in, in feeling overwhelmed by the process. Ms. Eichler? Um, so I, I would say that Christy's spot on on that, you know, right now I can tell you when I started back in the dark ages, um, that equipment was an issue. Um, they didn't have bows that were comfortable for women, um, or, uh, even older people or even, uh, youth, um, the bows were heavy. They were cumbersome. Um, I could pull the draw weight. I, could, I had a hard time holding the bow up in front of me because it was so heavy. Um, but that thankfully um, has not been the problem anymore. Um, I access an opportunity and where to start, like Christy said. Um, so even if you do say, go to your local, um, club, great, learn to shoot, learn to be accurate and enjoy it, have fun. But then it's the, you know, the access and opportunity to, to where to hunt, where to go, um, you know, uh, stuff like that, that can be a barrier. We always talk about, um, the game regulations here in Colorado. I mean, if you go to read the, the game regs, I mean, you, sometimes you have to have a doctorate to understand, you know, which license and where to go. And Fred and I were at a Bass Pro Shop uh, a couple years ago 
And, you know, a dad came up to us and said, you know, I, I want to get my kids started. And, you know, I hunted when I was a kid and I thought we this is something we could do together. And I wanted to take them turkey hunting, but I started reading the turkey regs and I was afraid I was going to do something wrong because I couldn't understand them. Um, so I think, you know, simplifying some of that um, and taking down some of those barriers um, to, to having new people be able to go and enjoy the sport. I think that's really important. Yeah, I, I'm all for, I'm a, I'm a preacher of find a mentor and find somebody better than you. Um, you know, <laughs> I got in trouble one time for saying, I don't want to take diet advice from an obese man. Um, and, and I don't want to take hunting advice from somebody who's never found success in hunting. Um, I want to find somebody who's been there and done that. Um, now I, I, I get it. Um, you know, when I was getting into shooting a recurve, I got help from Fred. I got help from Tom Clum and some of the greatest. And people were like, well, yeah, you get to learn from some of the greatest. That's not the point. Just find somebody who knows something more than you so you can learn what they know uh, and, and take it step by step. You know, I didn't just jump to Tom Clum and say, teach me uh, how to shoot a recurve. You know, it started with my dad and his little bit of knowledge and him telling me these, these small things. And then it went to, you know, my, my buddy who's killed one deer with one. And then it went to... So, so just find somebody who knows more than you and start pulling in knowledge. Um, speaking of, of, you said archery equipment, what, what bows are you ladies shooting this year from bear? Um, I have a prowess and I absolutely love it. Um, excited for this fall. Um, I've got, um, I, I don't know what I'll be hunting it with yet, but I did draw a goat tag after 18 years of putting in. Oh, wow. So goat is on my list this year. Um, Fred and I are going to head up on the horses and do a little bit of scouting ahead of time. And, uh, you know, if it's far, I might reach out there and touch one with a rifle. Um, but if I can get within bow range, um, I may try to harvest it with my, with my prowess. And you're shooting the refine, correct? I shoot the refine, but I also, um, have, I just took a Turkey with the escalate. So, um, I actually have two setups, uh, for archery that I kind of like flirting with. Um, my Escalate is a little bit shorter axle to axle. And um, I have that one set up for whitetail this year. So I'm going to be running the drive site single pin. And I have it sighted in right now, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, and 40 yards. And actually I have it out to 45 um, for whitetail. So what I have found is that um when I get in a tree and I have a deer sub 20 yards, it's really easy to put five pins on a deer and really not pick a spot to aim. So um, for me, the Escalate this year, I have it set up with that single pin drive so I can range, dial it and shoot and just really hyper focus on that yardage as well because I am shooting a little bit slower speed five yard increments on whitetail we all know how jumpy they are it really makes a big difference for me having those half yardages marked um and another thing I changed this year is I actually moved my peep sight up um, and added a kisser button on my bow to give myself a little bit more um breadth of clearance on my site. So, um, I did a few changes this year and, um, and I, so I'll, I'll be hunting the escalate for whitetail and then the refine for, um, for elk. And I actually have my escalate bow, the poundage down a little bit too, from 
from my elk bow. Um, that one, I have it like 54 pounds, 55 pounds right around in there. Because if I get cold and I'm sitting in a stand for a really long time, I have a harder time drawing. So I want that bow a little bit lighter. I've got a little bit lighter arrow. I'm running like a 335 grain arrow for whitetail versus my elk setups at 380 with a heavier draw. A lot of times when bow hunting elk is warm, so my muscles are warm, I'm moving, it's easier to like dump up that poundage um, and and be able to draw a little heavier um, draw cycle and then get a little more speed and hopefully, you know, more energy. That's a really long answer. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually think uh, what's funny is I believe um, I had gotten a ton of questions about the sites that I run uh, because people were looking at them and it's like a Cyclops site. Uh, cause I took a housing off of, of a react trio and put on a dovetail and I'd gotten a ton of emails about it. And I actually think I answered that question on one of the podcasts I did with you. And so, um, and you had mentioned something about looking at switching up sites. And so, um, you gave a follow-up answer without even meaning to, I think. Well, for elk this fall, I'm going to run the hot wire. So I'll have a 2030 and a 40 and my 40 will be a mover. Um, yeah. Really for me, I'm, you know, with how little, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm so little, um, I, I don't have as much energy as, is some guys. So I really want to make sure that when I release my arrow, it can get into the vitals where it needs to be. So I'm not taking, you know, necessarily some of those longer shots that a lot of bow hunters will take. So that drive site's great for me, you know, um, not the drive, excuse me, the hot wire site is great for me. because I'll have that 2030 fixed 40. And then if I have something at 50 yards and I want to take that shot, I really right. have to, I have to range it because my fall off after 45 yards is pretty significant. So, you know, forcing myself to take that time to range it and be perfect is really important for me. Yeah. Um, before we, we move on, let me just plug this real quick. Uh, we're actually going to do a question and answer episode with Fred. Um, so if you have any questions you would like to ask Fred, send them into Bear Archery. Uh, you can email them to Bear Archery. You can email them to me at the Hunting 101 Podcast. You can message Bear on social media with your questions. But any questions you have for for Fred Eichler, uh, just shoot them over before the 27th. Uh, we're going to spend some time just going through all the questions you've got. We just did one with Chuck Adams, and it was a phenomenally fun time uh, answering all the questions with, with Chuck. Uh, but we're going to do it with Fred, so make sure and send your questions in before the 27th. That's when we're going to record it. So make sure and then tune in the 29th to hear those questions answered. Um, Michelle, you have successfully, when it comes to parenting, I like to look at parents who have succeeded and you have successfully gotten three boys to be passionate about hunting. How did you do it? Well, I didn't do it by myself. My husband had a lot to do with that. Um, but because we, like you said, had that atmosphere here of the field to table, lifestyle. Um, perhaps they didn't know any different, but I, but I can tell you some things that we always did that I think definitely helped. So for instance, um, I remember a hog hunt in Georgia and the two older boys were old enough to shoot hogs with their bows, but Trent, the youngest at that time wasn't old enough, but he wanted to be in there. He wanted to be a big boy. He wanted to, you know, go hog hunting. So well, Fred took the older two boys. I went with Trent and we went hunting for, um, for hogs, for wild hogs. And I can tell you, we had so much fun. Um, he had his little bow 
and we went walking through the woods and we would spot some, some, uh, you know, pigs rooting around or whatever. But by the time the day was over, I came back, I looked like a Christmas tree. I had a, I had a turtle in my pocket. I had a, a empty water bottle full of little tadpoles. You know, I was carrying all kinds of little sticks and stuff that, you know, that he had, you know, picked up and we just, we had a great time. So it was letting him have fun, letting him, you know, it wasn't a serious thing. Um, and that's how we've always done it with the boys. And like you said, even if you're trying to get, um, say a girlfriend or a wife or somebody involved, don't take them out on the coldest day. Um, you know, when it's not fun, even for, uh, you know, some of us seasoned hunters, when you go out there and, and you're miserable, but you know, that, just because you are sitting out there miserable that something amazing can happen. And so you, you sit there and you go through that. Um, but people that haven't experienced hunting the way we have, they don't understand that. They don't know, you know, what the rewards are of, you know, being uncomfortable or whatever. So, you know, with the kids, it was always just making it fun when they first started shooting. And I'm talking, you know, two and three years old, um, shooting their little, their little bow at a balloon and just, when they would hit that and they'd hear that pop or a BB gun and hear the pop, um, that kind of hooked them. You know, it was not serious. We have some great footage of, you know, the two older boys when they were younger, um, rabbit hunting, you know, and they've got a pile of arrows and, you know, they've got their little bows and they're flinging arrows and we're videoing and this rabbits, you know, jumps a few yards and they shoot at it again and it jumps a few yards more and just make it fun. Don't make it serious. Um, you know, don't trophy hunt. Like Christy said, that's, that's never what was, um, the goal in our family. Um, and we always thank to this day, if we sit down for a meal and it was an elk, you know, it'll be like, Hey Seth, this is the elk that you shot last year. Thank you so much. Or Jeb, this is the whitetail that you shot on our ranch, you know, and we appreciate the meat or Trent. So it's all about that, you know, that grounding, that, um, getting that base of enjoyment and understanding what they're doing and that, you know, really harvesting an animal is not a competition, um, with any other person. Um, it's a challenge between you and the animal. Yes. Um, but as far as competing with other people or who shot the biggest one, just make it fun, make it enjoyable and, um, always make sure that the, that backstory is there. So they understand why they're doing it, um, and, and have a good time. Yeah, absolutely. It's my, I hate it when people talk about kids um, and they talk about how well, I can't get my kid to be passionate about anything. They don't want to work. They don't All they want to do is sit in front of their phones or sit in front of their TV. Well, that's because that's what they are passionate about. You know, that's kids are actually... their parents are giving them a phone and a TV. <laughs> kids are actually the exact opposite. I feel as though when they're passionate, they fully 100% buy in. You've just made them passionate about the wrong things. And so now they're so passionate about their phones, their tablets, their social medias, that that's what they're bought into now. But if you get a kid to become passionate and buy into hunting and buy into harvesting and eating and killing, then they they 100% dive into it. Um, you know, my son's a perfect example. All he wants to do is shoot his gun. He, I was downstairs this morning and in my office and he walks in like 7.30 a.m. still wiping his eyes with his blankie. He says, Dad, let's shoot. And I'm like, let's roll. Uh, but anyways, uh, he's fully like 100% bought in. Um, but, you know, I think we've just done a, a horrible job 
of getting our culture of kids to be passionate about the, all the wrong things. And now we can't get them to be passionate about anything else. Do you so guys, I, you guys have probably heard of Seth Cox. He adopted three sibling kids and, um, he raised those kids. They went from really suffering in school and, and being behind and did TV for a limited time on the weekends. Like it was like a family treat, no phones, uh, encouraged them to read, encouraged them to play outside. And those kids went from struggling in class to being at the top of their class. They love the outdoors. Their creativity has skyrocketed. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of the problem is in, I'm not a parent, but giving your kid an electronic babysitter is really not the best interest of your child. And I don't see yeah. why elementary and junior high kids need smartphones um, and need to be on social media with everything that's on there is so toxic. Um, so, you, you know, if you want your kid to do something instead of complaining about it, have them do something. You know, you're the parent Absolutely. at the end of the day. If you give them a phone, it's on you, um, you know, like accept responsibility for that, I guess, you know, because what he's done with his kids um, is incredible. And this, their story and, you know, if there's parents that want, you know, parenting advice, call South because he knows what he's talking about and he's been through it and knows how difficult it is to break kids from the addiction of electronics. Cause when he adopted those children, they were, they were, they were addicted to them. And it was, um, it took a village, you know, to get them beyond that and get them interested in doing other things. Yeah. No, I, uh, my kid, my oldest is about to turn 11. So she's to the age where all of her friends already have phones and she gets mad because she doesn't know the, the latest TikTok or whatever. And for the first time ever, she came home from school and she said a whole bunch of kids got in trouble for doing something about like making fun of their teachers on whatever. I don't know what it was. And like, it was serious. They like brought in police officers and you know, this is illegal, blah, blah, blah. And my kid comes home and she looks at me and she said, that was the first time I was glad I didn't have a cell phone. And, and, and it's, you know, I'm not boasting, I'm not bragging about how, how good we are, but, um, you know, kids these days, they, they can't find passion about anything else because all they're doing is, is sticking their head on a phone or an iPad or you name it. Um, and so I, I'm of the complete opposite of, of opinion of that kids can't get passionate about anything. They're passionate about the wrong things. And if we can create them to be passionate about hunting or about fishing or about camping or hiking or, or whatever it might be, we're taking our kids on a, uh, on an eight day backpacking trip across Colorado, New Mexico, Idaho, Utah, um, might be it, but, uh, and there are no phones, there are no iPads, there are no, and, and you know, I just think parents, we need to do a better job of getting them passionate about the right things. And then we'll see that passion really take off. No, I, I completely agree with you. Um, you know, need to get kids away from that social media. Um, I mean, obviously it has a place in our society now, but um, it just can't be the beat all end all. It can't be their total focus. I mean, get it, yeah. get them outdoors, get them interested in other stuff. And uh, you know, show them there's, there's a much bigger world out there because I think a lot of uh, kids actually, um, have problems socially because they interact with a, an electronic device, um, and not people, you know, face to face, and they don't really know how to, um, to handle situations like that. Um, so definitely need to, you know, put limits on it and, uh, put it, put it in its place. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, we, 
we could go on, uh, but certainly I, I also think social media is one of those deals that makes it hard to get a kid involved in the outdoors the opposite way uh, because they have this false idea of what hunting is going to be. Um, they've, they've seen it on social media. They've seen it glorified as, as killing a 200 inch deer and, and, you know, you name it, but, uh, and that's not just kids. That's any new hunter, uh, that they've seen hunting portrayed in this, this light of just go out and do it and you'll kill a 200 inch deer and, and smiles on the face and blood on the cheek and how cute and, and fun this is. And then they get out there and they're like, wait a minute we saw one squirrel. That's it. Like where was the 200 inch deer that I was supposed to shoot? And they just, then they, they lose interest. They lose. And so, yeah, I mean, social media sucks. I think it's the name of this episode. <laughs> what is your, uh, I ask each guest, miss, miss Michelle, that I know this is your first time on, uh, Fred bear was big on his field notes. So I like to ask each guest, what's one field note you've taken over the years? Uh, just a, a quick tip or trick that I can take and make myself a better hunter with? Um, I guess mine would be to practice how you're going to hunt. If you're going to hunt from a tree stand, you know, get up in a tree stand and shoot your bow. If you're going to hunt from a blind, um, you know, sit in a blind or sit at least on a chair and shoot from a sitting position. Um, too many people practice standing up and shooting stationary targets. And then when an actual hunting situation comes in, um, you know, you're sitting on the chair wrong or you hit your limb on, on the, the chair. So, or, you know, if, if you're going to be hunting cold weather, put your heavy jacket on and shoot with your heavy jacket. I don't know how many times I've heard people that have had amazing opportunities and they didn't count for the fact that they had, you know, a lot of bulk on their, um, bow arm and, you know, hit, hit the string and didn't harvest the animal. So, um, practice how you're going to be hunting to the best, the best that you can. Miss Titus? Um, yeah, I think that's, per, you know, practicing how you're going to be hunting, but also um, I'm really big on knowing your limitations. So if you go in the field and it's your first deer hunt and perhaps, or antelope hunt, let's use antelope as, a, as an example, and you have an outfitter that wants to set you up on a tripod standing and they want you to shoot 400 yards on an antelope and they're like, telling you the hold and you've never practiced it. I really feel like ethically, um, you're, you should say, Hey, you know what? I haven't practiced this. Let's keep hunting until, um, until we find a situation that I am comfortable with and, and stay within your limitations. Um, and the other thing is, is equipment fit. Um, I see it a lot with rifles, so-and-so hands Sally the hunter for her first hunt, their rifle, they zeroed it. Well, you have an eye relief set for a man. The length of pole doesn't fit the intended user of the firearm. They have a bad experience. They get scoped or they're in the excitement of the hunt. They can't get eye relief with a bow. Um, you know, like, like I was saying, I have my poundage on my bow lightened for whitetail hunting for when it's cold. Maybe somebody doesn't walk them through that and they're at the top end of what they can draw. Um, and they get in a situation it's too cold and they can't even draw their bow. Um, you know, and so there's all these things. I think a lot of it is just spending time, you know, being in nature and, and learning what you're capable of and, and understanding those limitations. And, you know, you are out there to harvest 
an animal and knowing where you can be ethically to do so is is of the utmost importance. And I mean, there's so many people that don't even know what questions to ask to be ethical. So we have to have good mentors. And um, it, it really goes back to you know having a great hunting community around you. Yeah. And D- Dylan, just to, to add to that, one thing that I think all hunters should do is don't judge the success of the hunt on a harvest. Um, you know, enjoy the sunrise, enjoy the sunset, enjoy the whole experience. I mean, if you go, you know, to a new place or hunt a new species, um, you know, just remember that a successful hunt doesn't necessarily always end with a harvest. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, do you um, do you hunt with a recurve at all, Michelle? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I've uh, I've shot antelope. I've shot an axis deer um, in Molokai with my, with my recurve, um, shot some hogs with my recurve. So yeah, I've, I actually started with the recurve. That was, that was the bow I started with when I was younger with my dad and I didn't start shooting a compound until I was in my twenties. So, um, yeah, we're, we're a equal opportunity family. We, we shoot it all. I going back to the teaching kids and, and getting them acclimated and, I had a, a friend of mine, he grew up and his dad handed him a recurve and said, you cannot touch a compound or a rifle until you kill something with this. And, uh, and he like, it, you know, it was a big teaching moment of like expectations and, and you're not going to go out and expect to just shoot whatever you see. And you know, that, that humbling of, uh, I guess it works. He's still a hunter, but, um, you, I would think that would scare a lot of people away and just think, well, then I'm not going to hunt. <laughs> but, uh, I was just curious. What, uh, what poundage do you shoot on your, on your recurve? Uh, for me? Uh, I'm sorry. Yes. Yes. On your recurve. Okay. On the recurve, I shoot 35 or 40 pounds, um, okay. at my draw length. The reason I, I, I get, I've got, ever since I made the switch and started talking more about it, um, I've got that question quite a bit of, and it's easy for me to answer it for men starting out. Uh, but I got that question for women. And if I want to start shooting a recurve, where should I start at poundage wise? And I was just like, ah, I don't know. <laughs> so I, I can tell you, um, if you're, if you're starting with a recurve, you want to, you want to try a recurve. It's better to start lighter and then build yes. up. Um, because as an instinctive shooter, which is how both Fred, um, myself and, and our boys all shoot recurves instinctively. Um, which is just like throwing a ball at a target. Um, it's much easier if you're not struggling with the bow. If you can draw it easily, um, have a, a nice solid anchor um, and, a, and a nice clean release, you're going to have much more success at that. So start lighter and then you can build up. Um, you know, the, the days of the 80-pound recurves and stuff, like when my dad was hunting in Africa are pretty much over the the arrows, um, the technology and a lot of the equipment, um, has, has made it so it's so much more efficient. Um, so with the 35 or 40 pound bow, you can, you can harvest whitetail deer all day long. Um, as long as you're accurate, um, you know, the most important thing is not to be overbowed. Um, and that's whether you're shooting a compound or, or a recurve or a firearm for that, you know, um, you know, be comfortable with your weapon so that you can make a nice ethical shot. Absolutely. Uh, no, I tell every guy that asks me start with 25 or 30 and that sounds ridiculously low, but at least you can develop your form. You can develop a good shot process. Um, but I didn't know, um, I I wanted to get a woman's take on where a woman should start poundage wise. Um, so 
Um, now, guys, before we go, I do got to give one more thank you to our friends over at Forerunner Blinds. Uh, I was in the market not so long ago for a new blind, and I stumbled upon Forerunner Blinds. And what it what what they do, what makes them different, what sets them apart, is they're on wheels, and you can hook them to. Uh, a Polaris or an e-bike and you can pull them across your farm, pop the wheels down and you've got an, not only an incredible blind to hunt out of, but an incredible blind to transport from different place to different place. So I can use it really like two or three blinds and move it across a farm and set it up in different places. They've got the biggest windows in the industry, full steel framing. They're incredible blinds. Go check out forerunnerblinds.com. Guys, ladies, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate your time. Again, it's incredibly humbling to be on episode 100. And so thank you for your support. Thank you for uh, for continuing to listen. Um, ladies, thank you so much. Thank you. We, uh, it was a pleasure to be here and an honor. Yeah, thank you so much for having us a part of this 100 episodes. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. You guys have a great week.